Hi, this is Donna Otto, and we are Modern Homemakers. And our subject the last few days and moving on into the next few days is what is a family? What are the ingredients of a family? Who decided what a family was? How do you call a family? What do families do together? What do families not do together? Are there any rules and regulation? And what about rules in the family? If you listened to us a couple of days ago, we talked about evaluating the rules in your family. Uh, rules. Remember, as my daughter said when she was maybe 12 or 13 years old, as I was preparing to go out and teach she said very sarcastically, oh, you're going out to teach women how to make slaves of their children. <laughs> yes, indeedy, yes, indeedy, slaves of my children until they go away and leave me alone. And then I have to do all the jobs myself, so sure. Yeah, make slaves of them as long as you can. That's somewhat in jest, but in somewhat in truth, because these jobs have to be done, and I hate to tell you this, but those children are going to go away eventually, and you're going to have to do all the work yourself or give up some of the things. That's, we hope to do that when we move from a bigger house to a smaller house. I don't know, right now, as I've been whining, it's taken us 10 months to move, so hasn't, nothing's gone less yet. <laughs> So today, I read a passage to you um, a couple of days ago, and today I want to read two passages to you that remind you, I guess remind me, of the basis of what we do here around Modern Homemakers with regard to helping you, encouraging you to be a woman of faith, a wife, a mother, and a homemaker. And in Deuteronomy chapter 6, there are these five verses that have been, they're underlined in gold in my Bible, um, have been the hallmark, plus the passage I'm going to read to you out of Colossians, about some of the guidelines from the scripture, of why we do what we do. And this is God in Deuteronomy saying, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. And then he says to us, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your might. And some of you are saying, mm, Hey, Donna, that's the old covenant. Well, what about the new covenant? And so I want to read to you from Matthew chapter 22. Matthew chapter 22, which is the new covenant. And this is Jesus speaking. And he says, when the lawyer says to him, what is the greatest commandment? He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. This is the greatest and first commandment. So this commandment is for us always. And that applies to us in these roles of who I am as a woman, and, and being a woman falls into what you do. Being a woman, maybe it's your job or your career or your, uh, what's the word, hobbies. Who you are as a woman, who you are as a wife, the relationship you have with a husband. We'll talk about marriage in this What is a Family series. And how do you get to marriage? How do you stay married? Why stay married? What's the point of it all, especially when things are bad? Who you are as a parent. Hmm. I've had some good parenting years. I've had some very bad parenting years. I've had some good experiences with my only child. I've had some very hard experiences with my only child. But I'm still a mother. And even though she's an adult and has children of her own, I'm still a mother. 
uh, we Jim Holt, who wrote that wonderful book about parenting adult children, and his subtitle said it all. Have the welcome out and keep your mouth shut. Very good advice. And he goes on to say, keep these words that I'm commanding you today in your heart. Recite them to your children. What words? What words? That you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your word. These are the words he wants us to recite to our children. And then he says, talk about them when you are at home, when you are away, when you lie down, when you rise up, bind them as a sign on your hand, fix them on an emblem on your forehead, and write them on the doorposts of your house. In the Jewish culture, they're called mezuzahs, and they hang right there on the door. I never understood this until I read this passage and came to teach it in my late 30s. My hands, look at your hands. We see our hands all the time. And he says, the first thing he says is bind them as a sign on your hands. Don't forget it. You can't forget your hands. You look down, you see them all the time. They're dirty, they're old, they're wrinkly, they have brown spots, they're young, they have nail polish, they don't have nail, they have chipped Your hands are right before you. He says, bind this thought of loving the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul. Bind them on your hands and then fix them on your forehead. <laughs> I had a friend who used to tell her child, look in the mirror one time a day. And, and I thought, isn't that interesting? Look in the mirror one time a day. That was her little theory. And the truth was, she, she said, she used to watch her, she had two daughters, she used to watch her daughters, they'd go by a glass window and they'd look in the glass window. Because her mom was trying to encourage them not to be looking at themselves. But we look at ourselves, we check the mirror. We check how we look. If the eyelash has gone down, I was crying, do I have black mascara under my eyes? We look at, and he says, write them on your hands, fix them on your forehead, write them on your doorposts where you come in and out. These are important things. Children need authenticity and consistency and marriage and family model and discipline and biblical truths and training and teaching. There's so much that we have the privilege of teaching them. And Deuteronomy tells us how to do it. And then in Colossians chapter 3, which I read to you last week, starting in verse 18, we see what Paul calls, and I don't know what your heading is. Some of you have Bibles that don't have headings. But um, chapter 3, he's talking about the new life in Christ. And then he uses the word in my Bible, which is the NRSV. The subtitle says, Rules for Christian Households. Rules for Christian Households. And he says, Wives. And what I want to do now is give you two lists. He calls them by name, who the people are, and then he assigns a job to them. Wives. Be subject to your husbands, as is fitting to the Lord. Husbands, second category, love your wives and never treat them harshly. Third category, children, obey your parents and everything, for this is your acceptable duty in the Lord. And fathers, do not provoke your children, or they may lose heart. So what, is this, what does this mean? Paul speaks of that again in Ephesians, the same thing as the head of the house, do not provoke your children. 
in Isaiah chapter 55, verses 8 and 9, are, are perhaps my most often thought of verses, maybe most quoted, certainly have had the most profound effect on me. And it is Isaiah saying about God, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. Do you want to just stop there? Could you just think about that for all the days of your life, every minute of every day? Are your thoughts his thoughts? Oh, I want mine to be, but they're not always. Are my ways his ways? Oh, I really want them to be, but they're not. And he goes on to say, for as the heavens are higher, God who is in heaven, the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways, God's ways, higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. And I can remember being so discouraged when I first encountered that. It made me feel like, I will, um, what good is it? My thoughts are, his are always going to be higher, and his thoughts are always going to be higher, so what good should I do? What is this about? And I think that when I talk about this, what is a family, it is setting God's standard. And that makes it hard because when I read this Colossian passage, what my take on this passage is that God has given people, people groups, and he has told them what to do. So I've mentioned to you, and if you have been around the ministry of modern homemakers at all, you know that my story is one of barrenness. Uh, It was barren of beauty, barren of emotion. It it, um, had much negativity. It was barren of really being taught the bare essentials of life. I told the story... uh, of my dear friend who, who, when we first became friends, she said, let's get our albums out, our childhood albums. Do you have a childhood album? And I, I did happen to have an album that, my, that I put together of my mother's photos. She said, let's just look at them. Uh, it was such a great exercise because she didn't know me then. I didn't know her then. And, and she was turning the pages, and all of a sudden she said, stop. What is that? And there was a picture of myself. And... I was tall for my age, five seven, five seven and a half. Very skinny. I weighed eighty nine pounds. I had a spaghetti strap dress on in pink. I'll never forget it. And I was standing in front of what turned out to be about a fourteen foot long brick bookcase fireplace hearth in the apartment that my mother and my brother and I lived in. And she said. Where are you? What, what, what's going on? And I said, that's my house. And we're, I was getting dressed to go out to a prom. I was in my prom dress. A dance, maybe a dance, not a prom. And she just paused and she said, look at that house. And when we paused to look at it, the barrenness was so obvious to me. There wasn't a book on the bookshelf. There wasn't a piece of wood in the fireplace. There wasn't a picture or a clock or anything on the mantel. It was clean and white, clean, very clean. My mother was very clean. And there I stood in front of it. So my mother did the best she could with what she had, and I believe that to be true. But my own childhood was quite barren. So this passage found in Colossians three eighteen through 21 is going to lead us down this path as we talk about what is a family, the issues facing families of today. There are many issues that face families today. 
How do we speak about abortion and birth control today? Let's go for the big ones first, right? How do we talk to our teenagers about diseases, venereal diseases and AIDS? How do we talk to our children about relationships, men and men and women and women? How do we make up for the hours that our children are being raised by someone else, school and daycare centers or other members of our family, because we work, because we have to work? What do we speak to our children about domestic violence, which whether there's any in your home or not, it's seen on the television all the time. How, how do we speak to our children about what they watch on television? Or do we have so many rules that they don't get to watch those things and they don't know they're really going on and then they find out what it is? Well, these are issues that face every family. And how you talk about them, how you deal with them is extremely important to what kind of family your family is going to become. I mentioned this a couple of times and because I, I've never forgotten it. It was during the presidency of the Bush, the Bush Jr., and he wanted to have a conference on family. He wanted to have a family life conference, and they spent six months trying to figure out what was a family. They could never decide. The group came together and they could never describe what was a family. Was it a mother and a father and children? Was it a mother and children? Was it a father and children? Was it two women and children? Two men and children? Was it three people and children? Were there no children? Were they not a family? They, they couldn't do it. What about step families? Was there a step parent and a biological parent? Was that a family? Was it not a family? Adoption? Were those a family? They never could figure out what a family was. Well, I think the scripture here very clearly tells us that it's wives and husbands and children. Now, let's not haggle over who those definitions are, but very clearly it does show to us that God assigned responsibilities. And I think we're going to walk through this carefully because wife and husband, there are more single families than ever before. It doesn't offer other combinations, but it does talk about um, the fact that we are to stay together, to be together as a family, and the scripture clearly tells us that God hates divorce and separation. Well, why is it there is so much divorce and separation? What's the real answer to that? I don't really know. I don't know the, the one satisfying answer, but I think one of the answers is something we've been talking about around here, and that is we want more. We want more. We are not satisfied. We want change. If there's ever a sentence that I have heard when someone comes to me and says they're getting a divorce, my husband is leaving me, my wife has another guy, and she doesn't want me anymore, it, it comes from the fact that there wasn't satisfaction. My father, who died at the age of 91, and the family used to really make a joke about it, but it wasn't very funny. And that was my father could never even count how many women he had been in relationship with. He was never satisfied. If you've watched Hamilton, you'll see that song, She'll Never Be Satisfied, He'll Never Be Satisfied. 
it, it's a, a way of our culture that says what I have is not enough today and certainly it won't be enough tomorrow. And it also has to do with change. I'm not who I was when I married. I have lived a lot of years now and I've heard that sentence so many times. I've changed or he's changed. He's not who he was. You bet your sweet bippy he's changed. <laughs> My husband had hair. He's bald as a bat. I mean, that's a very tangible physical thing. But does his change mean that my commitment and vow to stay married to him in the covenant of marriage, which God describes in his word, is now over because he changed? Or because I'm not satisfied? It is satisfying to have a boyfriend on the side or a mistress. But people are wounded by that. They are hurt for life. Uh, I'm going to end our time today by just telling you something that, that happened to me, um, I don't know, 20 years ago, but I was speaking on marriage, perhaps family and marriage, and the basis of a relationship for loyalty in God's kingdom and his covenants and his desire for us. And whether it's his desire or not, we're not doing it. We're not loyal to each other. We don't stay married in greater numbers. And now we don't get married in greater numbers. Someone told me recently, did you know that divorce numbers are down? And I said, yes, I did, because marriage numbers are down. They're just not getting married because it's expensive to get divorced. And if you just live together, then you just move out, take your stuff with you. <clears throat> Relationship are um, easily broken but not easily restored and a woman came up to me and she said I just want you to know that I have 13 parents I still remember blinking and thinking like that's not really possible biologically I know that's not really possible but what she described was how her mother and father had married and she had been the product of that marriage and then they had divorced and he had remarried several times and she had remarried several times and it wasn't a red badge of courage that there were 13, but what she said followed was most powerful. She said, and when I think about I need a mom to talk to or a dad to talk to or a grandparent to talk to, I don't have one. She had 13, but none of them had stayed around long enough to be the one. So as we talk about family, and I think that things I've just said today are really hard for me to say. They're hard for me to hear. They are covered by grace. Who you are today and what you have done, that was then, this is now. I pray that what you hear me say when I say that God hates divorce, it doesn't mean he hates you. And it doesn't mean because you're divorced, you cannot live in the bonds of marriage and be successful for the future. What it means is God's grace covers that. But he still wants us to say our vows before God and man and keep them and live with one another till death do us part. He wants us to propagate the earth and have children, and he wants us to train our children in such a way that fathers would not provoke them and that children would learn to be obedient. Obedient first to their parents and then obedient in life. So one of the things that I've come to fall into for myself when I 
sin, when I make mistakes, when I make a commitment and I break it, when I feel like I want to break a commitment and I'm willing to stay in it but be miserable in it. So these are the three words that I want to give to you as we end our time today. The first is love. We go back to the Deuteronomy passage and the Matthew passage that says, love the Lord your God. Love the Lord your God with all your mind. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul. Love. Love. Let God love through you. Love him. Love. The second is lament. We read the laments of the Psalms, and so often we say the laments. Yeah, that's in the Psalms. Lament is just nothing more than sadness and sorrow. I don't know where you are in your life, in your walk, but I can tell you from my own life and my own life history, I probably need to do that again very soon. I have laments. I have laments for things I did, for things I wished I hadn't done. I have. I lament. I love God. Then I lament because I love him so and I know that I have done things that don't please him. And the last thing I get to do is repent. That's what he came for. He came so I could say, I'm really sorry, God. Will you forgive me? I want to repent. And what does it mean to repent? It means to know his love is so great and to know that your love for him is so great that you want to stop it. You want to stop doing whatever it is you're doing and repent and turn around and go back to the way you were or go on to a new road to show him how much you love him and how sorry you are. Love lament, and repent. Remember, the common begin and the uncommon finish. Go out and make it a very uncommon day of loving God with all your mind, with all your heart, and with all your spirit. 